Hello, welcome to Entrepreneurship at UBC's podcast, Evolution. I'm your host, MJ. Today we have Steph Sharp joining us. She has a background in finance and has worked with more than 40 startups. She has done many years in investment banking and negotiations. She is now the CEO of 3DQ, a 3D printing company. Welcome, Steph, and thank you for joining us. I'm curious to know, when did you first hear of 3D printing? I actually got introduced to 3D printing way back in 1986. That's when the first uh, machines came out to print dental crowns. And then I actually had clients with 3D printers along the way, one in jewelry, one in running shoes, and then ultimately ended up at 3DQ. It seems like it kept appearing in your life. What were some of your initial thoughts when the technology came out? Oh, the first one I saw, the dental crown, I was like, whoa, how does that work? That is so cool because uh, making crowns was a very, very tricky, uh, time-consuming process. And then with this machine, they would just put the files into the machine and then it would print out a crown. I was like, wow, that was crazy. So tell us more about 3DQ. How did it all start? So Matteo, who's my co-founder, he thought 3D printers were really cool and uh, decided to buy one for himself and started making some really neat stuff. And people heard about it and started asking him to make neat stuff for them. And then all of a sudden, uh, he had so many things people wanted him to make that he didn't have enough time to print them because the problem with 3D printers is a person has to go to the printer and remove the part before they can print the next part. So he would print a part and then it would sit on his printer all day while he was at school. And then he'd come home and scrape the part off and get the printer ready, print another part. And then, you know, he would be out for the evening or doing homework or whatever, and then the printer would just sit there. So it wasn't that the printer didn't have enough capacity to print what he wanted. It's that he didn't have enough time to run back and forth. So he decided, this is a waste of time. I should be able to automate that part removal. So then the printer can just run and run and run while I'm doing other things. And so he did. So how did you two come together? And what makes 3DQ different and special from other 3D printing companies? Well, so Mateo went to school with my daughter. Her name is Matea. Of course, I mean, I knew the kids in her class, but uh, I was on the parent advisory committee when Mateo came up with this idea of shredding plastic bottles to make filament for 3D for the school 3D printer so they would have cheap filament. And the advisory committee thought that was a good idea, so they backed him on that. And then we just started chatting about some of his ideas and then realized there was a whole business around this automation that he developed. And so we decided to, uh, to start 3DQ and mm-hmm. it is the automation that makes us different. So other printers, you still need to go back and forth to take uh, parts off the printer. You need to apply tape or glue. Um, and whereas ours just go continuously 24 seven, you don't really need somebody there to, to look after the printers. Once in a while you have to change the fil- filament, you know, that kind of stuff, but. Yeah, and I love seeing that entrepreneurial mindset of how can we improve an already existing system and make it more efficient and even increase the range of applications it can have. So now I'm curious to hear what sort of products are you printing? Yeah, for sure. So we were doing a lot of printing in um, actually plastic boxes and covers and uh, 3D printing is really good for 
for instance, enclosures for sensors or Raspberry Pis or electronics. You always want electronics, you know, in, in a plastic container so that it's protected uh, from, you know, from the rest of the machine uh, or from the outdoor elements. And so that's mostly what we were focusing on was all different kinds of enclosures and storage boxes, for instance, for keyboard caps and that kind of thing. We are still doing those. Our customers, they'll need their uh, enclosures made and it works really well for them. Uh, but with COVID, of course, we've moved over to the personal protective equipment, face shields, ear savers. Right now, we've developed a couple of products for um, helping with testing for swabs. And, um, and we're looking at uh, working with some of the ventilator manufacturers on some of the new designs. So, um, yeah, so just a lot of focus on that type of thing right now. And uh, while we're still working with our you know, traditional customers. That's amazing, because from what I can observe in the ecosystem, a lot of companies have managed to pivot and temporarily adjust to the circumstances, which is great, but you have kept your normal operations and on top of that have added a whole new layer of response to the particular needs right now. This also seems like a good opportunity for the industry to grow and change. So some of the problems the 3D printing industry used to have was that the materials available couldn't be applied to certain fields. For example, in medicine, I imagine the plastics need to be antibacterial to some extent, correct? So 3D printing wasn't used in industry very much at all in the past at, at scale. It was used for small like prototypes for if you want one or 10, uh, because people have to keep running to the machine to take parts off. Um, it is true that there are certain medical applications that the plastics used to not be available for in 3D printing. But what's happened is with the improvement in 3D printing, the improvement in components, over the last two years, the number of materials have doubled. And so, so now there are actually materials available for a lot of applications that used, there used to not be materials available for. So for instance, one that's been developed in Europe is an antibacterial plastic uh, that's used, for instance, in um, artificial joints and uh, braces and things that sit against the skin. Um, a lot of people for the head shields and the... Um, and the ear savers are using PETG, which is a particular kind of plastic that you can sterilize over and over again. So yeah, so the materials have really changed and the cost of 3D printing has come down even as the printing itself has improved because of better components. And just the development of the design science. So the because more people are using 3D printers, designers are finding new and innovative ways to make parts stronger and more durable. So when, and as you say, we haven't really pivoted. We have expanded our production. Um, we are accelerating our collaborations and, and we're designing a lot of solutions for COVID, but also that are more economic going forward for working with the healthcare system on um, securing the supply chain because these supply chain breakdowns have caused a lot of problems, as you know. So with 3D printing technology, you can transition outsourced parts to be produced in-house, therefore making your supply chain more reliable, correct? The unique thing with our system is that with the automation, we can 
provide 24 hours of automation for less than an hour of an engineer's time. So that starts making the parts very cost competitive with um, injection molding and traditional production. The problems has been that you don't have enough capacity to put high volumes through 3D printers at a cost-effective rate. So it's not like we don't have millions of 3D printers. We have millions of 3D printers, but they're not cost-effective. Like the healthcare system can't afford the pricing. So that's why a lot of makers are actually giving, you know, they're printing stuff for free right now. But of course, that's not a long-term solution. Long-term, you need to be able to take those printers, automate them, so that now you can get those costs down to a reasonable level for the for the healthcare system. There is a saying that goes, necessity is the mother of invention. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how does the current COVID crisis impact the future of 3D printing? And how was that journey looking like anyways before all of this started? And in terms of manufacturing in general? Digital distributed manufacturing has been something that industry has been talking about as additive manufacturing in general has been getting more sophisticated. But I think what happens at a time like this is everything accelerates and compresses. And people say, oh, sometime in the next 10 years becomes, no, we got to do this, you know, next month. Right. And so um, I think when you're looking at the future of manufacturing in general, we have relied on these large-scale outsourced business models. And what we're finding is that breaks down because of the concentration of supply in a particular location. We need to be able to uh, be a bit more resilient and flexible. We need systems that we can reconfigure for different things. So, you know, the auto manufacturers are trying to get up to speed to do ventilator manufacturing, but it takes a long time to build new steel molds, to be able to transfer your injection molding over to medical devices. Whereas the 3D printer, you upload the digital file for a new part and you print it. So the technology is really there to get that distributed manufacturing uh, model. And I think that's the future is we're going to be looking not so much at the scale economies having massive injection molding factories, you know, in one location, so much as a whole bunch of 3D printing uh, production units all over the world that are all tied together in a, in a network that, that can be reconfigured pretty much instantly, share the digital file, and everybody can now print the same part. That's pretty revolutionary, and I imagine it makes it way more accessible for people around the world to manufacture items, and especially in situations like this, where time is of such importance, just being able to tweak a file and completely change the product that you're printing is pretty impactful. With some of the uh, PPE, you know, the face shields and the ear savers, people have been sharing their files. Uh, and then as people use them, they tweak them and then they share the new upgraded designs and they can be changed instantly, right? You don't, we don't have to make a whole new mold to make a new headband. We can just do a new digital model and then everybody goes, oh, that's a better headband. Let's print that one. And then they just change their production. It's a completely different mindset. So my last question for you is, where do you see 3DQ going in the future and what's in stock for you? Well, where do we see? 
<laughs> we're growing, that's for sure. Um, what we would ultimately love to see happen is we would love to see our type of 3D printing being fully automated on all printers. Um, so we'd like to be at the center of that where our automation technology is used uh, in a whole bunch of different uh, by different printer manufacturers to automate our type of 3D printing. And, the, and then what we would see is then a lot of plastic production would then be done with 3D printers, which are much, they, they often use less material, there's less waste, you wouldn't be shipping all around the world, so much lower um, carbon footprint. Um, you would also be able to just print what you need when you need it. So if you need a thousand throat swabs today, you can just print it today. You don't have to buy 50,000 and store it somewhere and ship it from somewhere, and right? Um, and if you need to change a design, you change it, you're not stuck with thousands of units of inventory that you have to throw out. And you also are not having to manufacture these big molds that then, you know, once they're, once you don't need them anymore, what do you do with them? So we do see it being a really, like we want to be at the leading edge of, of a sustainability revolution in manufacturing. And, um, and we think that, that along with that sustainability, there's also uh, a real economic change because it brings jobs back into um, companies rather than um, overseas. And so it helps local communities build and it helps uh, people be more innovative. And, um, and it's interesting because I think even as production shifts into be more centralized, the design will be more distributed. So what'll happen and what we're seeing already is, you know, we'll use a design from the Czech Republic or from the UK and maybe we'll add a tweak to it and then somebody in the US will use it. And so we see that as being a very big change and that's what we wanna be part of is, is that innovation, the sustainability, uh, more global collaboration. Sounds so exciting. Thank you so much for your time today, Steph. I'm sure I'll catch you later. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. In the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy.